Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Let's dive into Genesis chapter 3. If you brought your Bible along, we always encourage you to bring your Bible along here at Crosswalk. Uh, I'm going to start doing what I saw one pastor doing, have everybody hold their Bibles up just to check and see if you guys are really bringing your Bibles on on the weekend. But not today. Don't worry. Just sit back. I won't do that today. If you have a phone, you have a Bible app, open it up to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to be talking uh, about the different lies and deceptions of Satan that get dropped into the midst of our families if you look if you look at the program cover and create this kind of destruction and fallout and then and then what do we do as we're trying to change the habits that we've built up based on the lies that we believe from Satan, how do we clear away and navigate through that fallout? That's what this entire series is going to be about. Most importantly, and I want, to, I want everyone here this morning to hear this loud and clear. If you walk away from this series knowing Jesus loves my family, we will have succeeded. Because I know that in your family, as in mine, it it can be very, very difficult at times. It it can feel like an atom bomb has been dropped right into the middle of our families. And, And so it's very, very important for you to hear your family matters to Jesus. And, and really, this is what this entire series is, is going to be about showing you the different facets of God's love for you, but not just for you as an individual. You know, here at Crosswalk, we talk a lot about God's grace, mercy, forgiveness, and love for you as an individual. But reading through the scripture, you're going to discover that God has just as much love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness for communities of people, for families of people. In fact, in the Old Testament, many of you may know this already, God created a community of people, a family of people, all descended from one man named Abraham, that he gave them a great purpose of sharing the gospel of a coming Messiah, And he loved them and loved them and loved them, not only as individuals, but as a family and as a community. And so right out of the chute, what what I want everyone to get, what I want to establish is this series is going to be about Jesus' love for your family. And, And we can talk about your biological family, as I said before. But, but all of us are in various families. We have a little, probably a quote, family at the place where we work. People that we get along with well, that we work closely and tightly together with. And, and at times we feel that family feeling with the people that we work with. We may feel that in our community. And certainly one of the things about Crosswalk Church is that we, we feel that our church was sent to this community of Levine and South Phoenix to share the love of Jesus specifically with Levine and South Phoenix. Of course, we want to share his love with the entire city, but we love this community. We love the people who live here. And how does God want us to relate to the people of Levine and South Phoenix? How does he want us to show the love that he has for this community as we live in it? You have many types of communities, not the least of which is also what I like to call your first family, and that's the church. And we'll look at a verse later on that clearly demonstrates, and maybe this is a little bit of a shift for you, that clearly demonstrates that If you're a Christ follower, and I realize everyone sitting in this room might not be a Christ follower today, that's okay. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're listening. But if you're a Christ follower, you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, do you realize that your first family is not your biological family? Your first family is your family of faith. 
that, that God called you. We're going to read a verse that said, even before time began, God chose you to be a part of the Christian church. Now, I'm not talking crosswalk church. Crosswalk church is, is one aspect of it. And of course, God has directed events and affairs so that you're sitting here today. We believe that. But when I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about the universal church of everyone who trusts in Jesus, that every believer all around the world, God has called you into his family to be his sons and daughters and to be brothers and sisters to one another. That's your first family. And when you live under God's grace in your first family, being blessed by that love, it's amazing how that grace, mercy, and peace will begin to disperse throughout all your other families, including your biological, your work, and your community families. So that's just a little setup for the entire series. You've heard me say it several times already this morning, God loves your family. Well, if God loves your family so much, how come... For many of us, our families are in so much pain. If, if God is all-powerful, if, if God truly is, is able to make a difference in our families, why does it feel so often like a bomb has been dropped into the middle of our families? And, and we're confused, we're dazed, we're hurting, and we're wondering how do we navigate the fallout of what just happened in our biological family, our work family, in our neighborhood, in our community. How do I do that? Now, I'm going to say this just to set up this entire series. Today, I'm going to focus on marriages because Genesis 3 is about how the whole world got messed up, but it's also very specifically about how the very first marriage got messed up. But I'm going to ask you to do some translating. Because it may not need, be that you need this message today so much for your marriage. Don't check out. What I want to ask you to do is translate it. I, I will help at times. Pastor Dan will help at times. But you may need to think of today's message and today's principles from the Scripture and today's gospel from the Scripture in terms of another relationship, not your marriage. Maybe it's your relationship with your children, your relationship with your parents, uh, your relationship with a brother or sister, member of your extended family, relationships at work, or relationships in your neighborhood. I'm just going to ask you for a favor that you think about the relationships that you feel in your life have had a nuclear bomb dropped on them. The relationships you feel, you're having to, having to work your way through some fallout. And you help me translate this into those relationships. So here's the question, and this is where we're starting. How did any of these relationships, whichever one you want to think about right now, how did it get so messed up? I, I don't think any of us goes into a relationship thinking this is going to be horrible. This, this is going to be painful. This is going to require me to persevere and, and to stretch myself. And it's going to require me to change. Most of us, in fact, there, there's a study done that, that says that men in today's world actually are more prone than ever to choose a woman and use the term compatible for a potential spouse based on this idea, are we compatible because she won't try to change me? In other words, the definition of compatibility to many men in today's world is, she'll just take me as I am and leave me as I am. Praise God. That's a wonderful woman. Now, I need to go off stage and just double over in laughter for a few moments um, because then I'll come back on stage and then we'll talk about how, whether it's men or women, you're in a relationship. Guys, I'm sorry to tell you, you're going to have to make some changes. That woman that you think is your dream woman, your soulmate, if you're going into marriage thinking, uh-uh, not going to need to change me because I'm just perfect the way I am. And, and ladies, same to you. 
you're going to be making some changes, some big, big changes. And why? Well, let's take a look. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? This is Genesis 3, and this is going to tell us why things are so messed up, how the atom bombs got dropped, why all of us need to make changes in marriage. Did you, you ever think back to your marriage vows? Do you remember how you said, I'm going to be faithful to you in all kinds of circumstances, including in sickness and in health? Somebody who wrote those knew that you were, you were standing there on your wedding day going, oh my goodness, this is awesome. We're going to be so happy together. Someone who wrote those vows knew before you knew. Nope. There's going to be times that are going to require a lot of getting through pain and perseverance. And that's because of what we read in Genesis chapter 3. You see, this isn't... Remember when I said God loves your family? You want great evidence of that? Back up a chapter to Genesis chapter 2. God saw that it is not good for a man to be alone. Now, we men don't like to admit this, but it's not good for us to be alone. It's not good for women to be alone. In Ecclesiastes 4, it says, two are better than one. And so, lovingly, God, he performed the first surgery on Adam, took one of Adam's ribs, and created a perfect soulmate for him, named Eve, brought her, said, Let me connect you two. I think you'd be perfect for each other. And they, and they, they were, they fell in love. Then how much did God love them the way he loves you? He created literally paradise for them to live in. Now, Julie and I were just on vacation. We went to the Caribbean and oh my goodness, beautiful. The water, the palm trees, the sand, the sitting by the pool. I'm thinking, if I was living here, like, we'd always be happy. Now, mind you, I love the desert. I grew up in the desert. I'm not going to the Caribbean. I'm staying here. Sorry, guys. But (laughs) God created paradise for Adam and Eve. He loved them so much. There were no financial issues. There were no, how are we going to get the food on the table tonight? How are we going to pay off the mortgage? How are we going to buy new clothes? God's love was just just showering on these two in their marriage. And God wants that for us. Now, here's, here's the warning, though. That is not coming again until eternity. Okay, let's just get that put out there. But... Can it be better than what it is today? Can we learn how to navigate the fallout? Well, it starts with understanding where do the bombs come from? You see it? A serpent, a very crafty serpent, came to Eve and said, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Right away, he starts out with, hey, let's, let's just check on what God said here. Eve." And, and the, the first lesson that all of us need to learn, especially with that title, look at the title. What we're dealing with today is a satanic lie that immediately causes us, when we're in the midst of conflict in our marriages or any other relationship, to shift the blame, point to someone else, anybody but ourselves, and say, it's all your fault. Anybody ever done that in their marriage? Like, I have not done that in my marriage. I, okay, maybe a little bit I've done that. I think Julia said to me a, a couple of times, how come I'm always the one to blame? And if you've ever heard that from your spouse, that's because 
you've probably said, no, it's all your fault. Or you've indicated in some way that it wasn't you, it was them. And, and that's the lie that we, that we have to get at here. But it starts here with an unwillingness to accept responsibility. And that's because Satan is whispering in our ear and saying, God really say that? No, God couldn't have said, don't eat from any tree. Look at all these beautiful trees. And so what we need to remember is if we need just have to point a finger of blame at somewhere else, where should we point it? Not at our spouse, not at our children, not at our parents. Some of us are guilty of that. I wouldn't be so messed up except for not at our neighborhood. I I honestly feel sometimes a lot of us living here in Levine and South Phoenix think, oh, this neighborhood, if I didn't live in this neighborhood. No, we can be change agents here. We can love this community. We can stay in this community. We can make a difference in this community. But we have to stop saying, it's all your fault. What's going on here? And the way we do that is recognize it's all Satan's fault. That's how the atom bomb started dropping. I want you to write this down. Do I always remember who the real enemy is? Do you? When you're in conflict with your spouse, your children, your parents, your co-workers, do you step back for a moment, just a moment, and say, Hey, Jeff, remember, the person right in front of me is not the real enemy. The, The person who's the real enemy is the serpent who has slithered into our house, into our cubicle into our neighborhood. That's the real enemy. And we have to stay focused on who the real enemy is so that we can fight the real enemy and not be fighting each other. So often, we waste a lot of energy and emotion and thought into fighting and battling with each other when we should be coming together, us, to fight Satan. There's a book called The Meaning of Marriage, written by an author, Timothy Keller. And and he quotes in this book, The Meaning of Marriage, he, he quotes a study that was recently done in which it became clear to him by looking at the data of this of this study that for many of us, marriage is not about us anymore. Us is not the most important thing. I am the most important thing. Let me me just read you a little quote. He's quoting a study and and an article by a New York Times columnist. And the title tells you a lot. The title of this article is, The Happy Marriage is the Me Marriage. And the columnist writes, The notion that the best marriages are those that bring satisfaction to the individual may seem counterintuitive to many. After all, isn't marriage supposed to be about putting the relationship first? Well, based on this study, the columnist says, Not anymore. The relationship does not come first anymore. I do. For centuries, marriage was viewed as an economic and social institution, and the emotional and intellectual needs of the spouses were secondary to the survival of the marriage itself. But in modern relationships, people are looking for a partnership, and this is what they mean by a partnership. Their partners make their own lives more interesting. Anyone in here guilty? Of thinking that I need to get married so that I can have the benefits, so that my life is more interesting. In modern relationships, people are looking for a partnership and and for partners that make their own life more interesting. I love Keller's turn of phrase. Marriage used to be about us, and now it's about me. That was his conclusion. 
This is huge. And, and who has created that scenario where marriage is about me, not us? Well, what's one of the most popular tactics in warfare? You heard it again and again in your high school history class, in your college history class. The key tactic in military warfare is, you finish it for me. Divide and thank you. Divide and conquer. Let's read some more. Genesis 3, 2 to 6. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And Satan comes back with this. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Has this ever happened in your marriage? Where all of a sudden something that you know is wrong You know that God does not want you to engage in. There seems to be a little voice whispering in your ear saying, look how good and pleasing that is. If you do that, you're going to gain wisdom, insight, fun, excitement, pleasure. And all of a sudden, you find that your attention is so focused on that thing And on that voice whispering in your ear that, in essence, even though your spouse is right next to you, they're gone. You have no emotional energy for them, no mental energy for them, because Satan has completely got you focused on this good, desirable, pleasurable, exciting, fun thing instead. Divide and conquer. You see what the devil's doing here with Adam and Eve? And he does it with us too today. And this is exactly how he creates a space to start dropping atom bombs into our relationships. You see what Satan does is he gets us to look at sinful things, wrong things, and say, that looks good. That looks smart. There's a lot of wisdom in doing it that way. How many people in our world back five or six years ago, bought houses, and we knew we were buying them that were too expensive because we we told ourselves, this is going to be a good investment, even if I really can't afford it right now. That's what I'm talking about. We start to look at something, and Satan convinces us it's going to be good, even when we know deep down in our heart It's wrong. And it divides us from the ones that we love. Here's what I want you to write down. Sin always seems like a bright idea at the time. Guys, you don't turn on the computer and start watching porn because you think, oh, this is a stupid idea. It seems like a bright idea at the time. You don't go to the the bar and start drinking one, then two, then three, then four, then five, then six, because it seems like a stupid idea. It seems like a bright idea. I have a, a really good friend who lives on the East Coast who called me this last week, and he says, Pastor, I just, I love being a host. My wife and I, we love having our coworkers and our friends, and we love throwing these parties. And, of, and in these parties, there's, there's always booze and beer because we want people to have a good time. And, and, it, it, and it's so good. People come together and, and we have fellowship and fun and, 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 and people just let their hair down and relax for a little while. It, it does so many good things. I said, okay, so why are you calling? Well, the other day I, um, I had my wife go on a business trip. And she's asked me to kind of slow down on the drinking a little bit lately. So I committed to her that I would slow down. 
But already before she was gone on the business trip, I found myself planning to go down to the local bottle store, the local liquor store, and and get a 1.75 liter bottle of vodka and drink that sucker down while she was gone. And my plan, (laughs) this was a great idea, Pastor. It was a bright idea. My wife wouldn't know. I'd get to have the fun of drinking. And then my daughter saw me sloppy drunk. And she picked up her cell phone and called my wife. And you know what he said to me at the end of that? I'm so glad she did. Because, Pastor, I was sinning. I I was making a wrong choice. Now, it took him a little while to get there. First, he kind of said, you know, I slipped. I said, did you really slip? And that's when he told me how he had made the plan. But at the end of the day, he came to realize that getting caught in his sin was a good thing. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But first, look at this. Write this down. The dance we do. Satan causes us, first of all, to question God. That's what the serpent did. Did God really say? Now, in today's world, we have a lot of that going on. You may know what the Bible teaches about certain things, but you probably, in certain situations, have still convinced yourself, did God really say that I shouldn't be living with that girl before I'm married to her? Huh. That doesn't seem right somehow. We love each other. Did, did, did God really say that I shouldn't, you know, pull in a few things from my workplace so that I can save myself a little pocket cash? That work won't care if I take a couple of these things. Did, and you can fill in the blank however you want. I'm not going to go on and on. But we live lives where, where Satan is constantly whispering in our ear, and we're asking ourselves, did, did God really say that, that? That doesn't seem like a very bright idea that God said that. We start to think we're smarter than God. Hmm. And then, notice what Eve does. She makes God's way sound heavy, burdensome, because she adds some stuff onto it. Go back up to verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And I want you to underline this phrase, And you must not touch it or you will die. Now, if you go back to Genesis 2, did God say that? You may not eat from any tree and you must not touch it. Man, God. I mean, at least he could let us like touch it, but he, he says, no, we can't even touch it. That's ridiculous, God. And we get that feeling sometimes too, don't we? And Eve isn't even telling the truth. God, God, to our knowledge, never said, don't touch the fruit. He said, don't eat the fruit. But as human beings, we have this facility from looking at what God says. And all of the things that God teaches us are intended to be a blessing to us. When I talk to young couples and I say, guys, don't move in together. Don't start having sex until after you're married. You know what I always say to them? Because God wants you to be in the path of his blessing. And as human beings, we can't see everything. We can't see all the results of our actions. And especially in the moment... You know what moment I'm talking about? We might not be able to foresee the fact that this act is going to create a child that doesn't have solid parents behind them because they're not committed to each other. You see, God sees all this stuff. And he says, I want you to be in the path of my blessing. But instead, we turn it around like Eve and go, Oh, God is... Oh, so heavy what he asks us to do. These rules, they just bug me. As if what God wants for us is a horrible thing instead of a blessed thing. The next step in the dance, Satan deceives us with his lies. Satan flat out lies here to Eve. 
And he says to her, look, no, you're not going to die. What's going to happen is you're going to know good and evil and be like God. Don't you want to be like God? Don't you want to be powerful and in control of your own life, Eve? What person wouldn't find that appealing? And then final step in the dance is after Satan deceives us with his lies, we see sinful choices as good and pleasing. A bright idea. But then what happens is what happened to my friend. My East Coast friend thought he had a very bright idea until he got sloppy and his daughter reported him to a person he'd made a commitment to 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 slow down on the drinking. And then when he got confronted, He wanted to rationalize it and minimize it at first. But in the end, his eyes were open. Ever had that experience? Like where where you see something as good and desirable and you do it. And the moment the act is done, you feel nothing but guilt, shame, and regret. As if you were given a new set of eyes to see the very thing that looked so fun, so desirable, so pleasurable, so so smart, so wise. And immediately as you're approaching the act, it all looks like this is the right move. And then you and then you act, and boom, it's like it flips completely into what what were you thinking? You idiot. You should feel so ashamed of yourself. How many of us have ever been there? Myself many times. You you feel yourself saying in the midst of an argument, if they don't back off, I'm trying to stay calm. I'm trying to be patient. But if they say one more thing, there's going to be an explosion here. And I'm going to be completely justified. In fact, maybe they need me to explode on them. And then all of a sudden, that one thing drops into the argument and you are all over them. Ripping them down, tearing them apart. You can see the look in their eyes. They're like, what? just happened and then you're like what did I do again you know Satan's two names Diabolus or devil means liar and deceiver and that's what he does all the way up to the sinful act. He lies and he deceives. And you know what the other name means? Satan? User. The moment you commit the sinful act, all Satan has to do is put on his other role. Lie, 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 lie. Sinful act. Accuse, 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 accuse. You stupid idiot. You sinful wretch. Do you ever expect God to love a person like you? Do you ever expect your spouse to love a person like you? Do you think your children, your parents, your co-workers are ever going to stick around for a person like you? You're an idiot. Liar. Deceiver. Accuser. See how he works? He works on both sides of it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. See, they get it now. Man, we're ashamed. We didn't even know we were naked before. Now we know we're naked. Then the man and his his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? What's happened? What always happens when we commit a sin? 
We get separated from God, and God has to come looking for us and say, where are you? Some of you have been there. You haven't been in church for a while. And why? I got a phone call just this week from a member of our church, a female, who I said, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Come on back. You know what her answer to me was? I'm too ashamed. I'm too ashamed. Come back and be part of a loving, grace-filled Jesus community. Shame and guilt drive us away from and separate us from God and God's people. So write that down. Sin always ends up separating us from God and turn the page. Just know that when we sin, that separates. Sin separates. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. So write that down. This is the, this is the second. Don't write it down. Just underline it. Sorry. Um, the second thing that happens is we understand why we run away from God. We become afraid of him. He's holy. He's right in everything that he thinks. When our eyes get opened, we might have to go, oh, that's what God meant. That's what God saw. That's what God was trying to prevent. Because now our eyes are open. We thought we saw it all. We didn't. God did. And our reaction is to run away and hide because we're now afraid of God. And he said, who told you so that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman who put you here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Ooh. See where we got the title? God, you messed up, dude. That surgery you did, you botched it. Like somehow, I don't know if you call yourself a surgeon or not, but didn't work out. And that woman that you created out of that surgery, by the way, you took one of my ribs for it and look what she did. Big mistake, God, and that's on you and on her. Don't think it's on me. And then we get to the woman. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, I take responsibility. It was all me. It was my fault. I'm sorry. Nope. Now she follows Adam and she says, I just saw my husband point a finger at me. I'll point a finger down the line at that snake that came slithering into the garden. It's a huge lie when we believe we're going to solve the bombs being dropped into our relationships by blaming someone else, by shifting the blame away from ourselves. If there's one thing you go home from today's message with is, I need to take responsibility for my actions. So here's what I want you to write down. Sin not only separates us from God, sin also ends up separating us from each other. And three points about this. Why? Number one, we start to hide because we're afraid. Not just from God, we start to hide from each other. Guys, if you're looking at porn, you're probably not telling your wife, studies say. Women, if you're taking some drinks... While your husband's not there and you're drinking too much, you're probably not telling your husband and you're probably gargling a lot of, of mouthwash before he gets home. We, we hide. And if, if there's something that you're hiding, there's no better piece of advice that I can give you than take responsibility and bring it out in the light of day. Satan loves darkness. Satan loves to see you hiding something in a cave. Bring it out into the light so that it can be dealt with. Talk about it. Reveal it. And get it out there. Second, when the facts don't add up, we are discovered. Reference the story I told you about my friend. You've been there. 
You're doing something. You think you've got it covered. You think you've got it hidden. Someone says, but what about this? And you try to cover it with another lie. And that person goes, huh. There's something about that story. It doesn't quite add up. That's what God does with Adam. Who told you that you were naked? That's weird. You shouldn't really be thinking about that. What happened here? Why are you hiding from me? Guys, I'm going to say this in your marriages. If you sense that something is being hidden, when the two of you are designed to be one, you are designed to be us, not me and you, but us. Dig. And it's going to be painful. Some of you are, are, are sensing that there are some hidden things in your relationship. And you haven't dug because you're too afraid of the pain to dig. You're, you're, you're holding back from digging because you're thinking, if I start to dig, if I start to say things don't add up, it feels like something is being hidden. You're afraid of what's going to happen next. Sin thrives in the darkness. Sin goes away in the light. And thirdly, our gut reaction is to shift the blame. We saw it with Adam and Eve, and you know what happens in your relationships. Now let me give you what I believe is the secret to no longer needing to shift the blame onto someone else. This is how we're going to close today's message. There is a secret that many people don't know that will help you stop entirely needing to push the blame off on someone else and say it's all your fault. And it's, it's really a simple secret. The reason most of us shift the blame is because we've tied our identity, our sense of self, to the wrong thing. We've tied our identity and our sense of self to our own behavior and actions. We've told ourselves a lie. And the lie is, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. The Bible says you're a sinful person. But you are a redeemed sinful person, and you are perfect in the eyes of God through the righteousness of Jesus Christ that he gives you. But if you don't get there and know that your identity is built on Christ and what he's done for you, then you're constantly going to want to shed anything that... that that goes against the identity you've built for yourself that says, I'm a good person. If your spouse comes to you and says, hey, dude, that wasn't a good thing you did. Good people don't do that kind of thing. You're immediately going to want to shift the responsibility, rationalize and minimize because you're protecting your identity that you think you have. I'm a good person. You're building your identity on your actions, your choices, and your decisions, the one you make in your own power. That's the wrong place. And if you're, if you're building your identity there, you're buying the lie of Satan. So where do you build your identity? I said it already. In Christ, in Jesus, in what he's done for you, in his perfection and his righteousness, in the fact that because he died for you and rose for you, your true, deepest identity, who you really are, is dearly loved child of God bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. You've heard Pastor Dan and me preach many times. That phrase should almost be memorized by now just from hearing it so often. I am, this is my true identity, a dearly loved child of God bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, why does that make it easier to apologize? Because I already know who I am. I am a sinner whose sins have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus, and I'm God's child who sometimes does stupid, wrong, sinful things. That's just who I am. 
And, and by the way, that's who all of you are too. And so when, when the facts don't add up and I get caught doing something sinful and wrong, I just go back to my true identity and go, well, I'm a child of God. That was not a kind of a child of God act that I did. I'm going to apologize and it's not going to erode my sense of self because I already know solidly who I am. I don't have to prove to anyone I'm a good person. I don't have to defend myself because I'm a good person only because Jesus died and rose for me and gave me his righteousness and his goodness. So, do this stance anyway. Sinner, take responsibility for your sin. Own it. The person who sinned against, recognize your cycle of ungrace at times when you've been sinned against, which is also, by the way, a sin. An event happens, you feel hurt and angry, and you do this thing we call information gathering. Have you ever been there where someone has hurt you so bad that you start to filter everything you see about this person through that hurtful event, and now you really can't even listen to that person talk without thinking, oh, I can't trust him. I can't trust a thing he says. Some of you women, like my mom, as a single mom, had had too many men hurt her. Whenever any man opened her mouth later on in life around her, you know what she heard? Wah, 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 wah. And you know what she said? Men. That's information gathering. People sometimes do it with pastors. Because guess what? Pastors sometimes do things that hurt people because we're sinners too. And then they come to church and they realize, I can't listen to that guy preach anymore. Because he hurt me too bad. And they, they lose trust and they can't because they're information gathering. Oh, he says that, I bet he doesn't live it. And we all do that in all kinds of different relationships. Sinner, seek forgiveness from God and your family member. You know what that means? Get the words out. You know what the words are? I sinned. I did wrong. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. With God's help, I'm not going to do it again. Those are the words. I sinned. I wronged you. I hurt you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. With God's help, I won't do it again. Get those words out. Use those words. Sinned against, decide to offer forgiveness to the person who who has hurt you. The word that's key there is decide. It's an act of your will. You may not always feel it emotionally. Rationally, you may even be doubting whether or not you should forgive that person. But Jesus says, forgive as you have been forgiven. Decide to forgive them. And then finally, because you are going to need supernatural help and power with all of this. Seek a closer relationship with the Jesus who loves you and loves your family and his supernatural presence and power in your situation. It all starts here with this last verse, Ephesians 1, 4 to 6. Your first family. And your first family is God's family. With God as your loving Heavenly Father and Christ followers as your brothers and sisters in Christ. A family that you were chosen to be part of from eternity. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, we underline those words, in love. He predestined us for adoption. You've been adopted into God's family. Adoption to sonship, to be a son or daughter of, of Jesus, of, of the Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace, His undeserved love, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. You see, this series might be about families and marriage, but it's really about Jesus. He is the one who made it possible for you to call yourself a member of God's family, a dearly loved child of God, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.
Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for the message of your grace and forgiveness, your mercy and peace. We need that, Lord. We are sinful. Lord, help us to stop trying to prove that we're good people. We're not. Unless we think of ourselves in Christ, then we are. But by ourselves, with our own choices and decisions and actions, we don't have to prove anything. And once we understand that, Lord, send your spirit so that we are willing to stop shifting the blame for stuff onto others and accepting responsibility, saying that was my choice, my decision, my plan. Lord, we need your supernatural strength and wisdom to be able to say words like that. Father, thank you for Jesus and for knowing that we are your dearly loved children in him. Thank you for forgiveness, the ability to have a fresh start individually and in our families every day because of the cross and the empty tomb. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue Baseline on Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. So, for you, who is it? Who do you need to go to today? Maybe a husband, a wife, a child, a parent, a neighbor, a co-worker, and say, you know what? It wasn't all your fault. I did something wrong too. And and I just, I need to tell you that. I need to say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I, I value this relationship. I want us to move forward together and be us, not just me and you. I want to encourage you to go home today and right away do that and heal that relationship. Let me send you out into your week with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord. Stick around if you need some prayers to help you with uh, fulfilling that request I just made or for anything else. We'll see you out on the patio.